Matthew chapter 28. If you'll meet me there, take your Bible, Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read just the final passage in the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 16 through verse 20. And so God's Word says to us in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, Jesus, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This morning we come to the final few verses in the Gospel of Matthew, and in these verses we hear the final words spoken by Jesus Christ as recorded by Matthew. They are, they are brief, but very, very powerful. Like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, their power is not in their length, but in their depth. What Jesus says here is deep with significance. In a sense, it's a culmination of His ministry to, to that point, to this point, as well as a commencement of a new era of ministry. Last words are lasting words. There's a degree of greatness attached to them, so it's no wonder that, that these words have become known as the Great Commission. Jesus gathered His disciples one last time to leave them one final message before ascending back to heaven. Imagine being there on the mountain when Jesus spoke these words. Imagine the tone in His voice or the look in His eye. Smile, maybe, upon his cheek. Soon, because of these words, because of these words, those disciples would be something that literally changed the world. The church of Jesus Christ. And from that day to this day, the Great Commission has been the clarion call of the church, calling us to something much bigger than we have ever imagined in that God has purposed to reach and redeem fallen humanity through those of us whom He has already redeemed. So as we come to this third, to the third week of, of my four-part series on the church's purpose and practice, it's why I'm reminding you uh, that we exist to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. The Great Commandment, remember, calls us to love God with all our heart, mind, 
soul, and strength to love God with everything you are and have. And when we put the great commandment alongside the great commission, we, we find, we discover that there is an, an upward priority, love the Lord your God, and an outward priority, go uh, into all the world, and an inward priority, make disciples. It's about loving the Lord and reaching people for the Lord and building them up in the Lord. Last week, we considered the upward priority to love God. Today, I want to consider the outward, the outward, namely the call to go. I want to just consider the call to go today. And then next week, we'll consider the call to make disciples. But today, I just want to consider the going aspect. I've titled the message, Going in the Great Commission, because I want us to, to see that when Jesus says go, he means keep on going. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just go one time. No, it's, it's to become uh, a lifestyle, a practice of, of, of reaching and redeeming the lost in the presence and power of Christ and the Spirit of God and all to the glory of God. Here's the point. As disciples of Christ, not only are we recipients of the gospel, but also participants in it. Not only are we recipients of the gospel, we are participants in it. And so I want to take it in two parts. Christ's command and Christ's comfort. Christ's command and Christ's comfort. The first thing I want you to see is that the command to go is just that. It's a command. The Great Commission is not merely suggested, but commanded. Jesus isn't just giving us something to think about. He's sending us forth with clear purpose. Go and make disciples. Or as it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, which is Mark's version of the Great Commission, it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We cannot dodge or duck or dismiss this. We cannot dodge or duck or dismiss this. We cannot escape the fact that God's design for the church, including our church, involves an outward-looking, gospel-going, disciple-making priority. This instruction wasn't just for those 11 disciples only, but for all disciples. And it is, please hear this, it is our honor and our privilege to participate in God's work. Indeed, all who are saved in Christ are sent by Christ. Jesus sends us even as the Father sent him. He was sent by the Father who loves us. And so John writes, the Apostle John writes in, in 
in 1 John chapter 4, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. John says, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. In his Gospel, John also declares, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So our entire salvation owes to the Father's sending of the Son. We have to see that. Our, the entire Gospel and our faith in it is predicated on the going of Jesus Christ, on His coming from heaven to earth to save all who trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins and for new and eternal life with God. But we're not just recipients of the Gospel, we're also participants in it. As the Father has sent me, Jesus once said, even so, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Just quickly, let's turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want you to see something that's, in my estimation, it's just super cool. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to see that whenever Paul thought of the church at Philippi, he was encouraged. Whenever he remembered them, he prayed for them. And whenever he prayed, he prayed with joy. And the reason is because the believers at Philippi were participating partners in the gospel. They were active participants in what God is doing in their world and in the world. The church at Philippi understood its purpose. Its members knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it. They were to live the gospel, and they lived it. They were to participate in the ministry of the gospel, and they did so from the first day that the church there started to the day when Paul wrote them. Paul says, from the first day until now, the church at Philippi was an outward-looking, gospel-going, disciple-making church, which, of course, thrilled the Apostle Paul. And I just want to say that I want that for us. I want that for us. The, you know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so I'm asking God for that, for us. I want us to be more 
I just want us to be closer, to closer emulate the church at Philippi. I want us to understand that the local church is God's chosen method for reaching and redeeming the lost. I want us to be so in love with God that our worship naturally spills out into our witness. That the upward uh, excites the outward. Excites the outward. Not obligation. I want us to celebrate the sharing of our faith and treat it as just normal, everyday Christianity. I want us to live confidently in the power of the gospel, believing that God still saves, that God is still changing lives. Listen, including our own. I want the culture of East Parkway Church to be one where outreach isn't characterized by our programs, but by our people. I want us to be shoulder to shoulder in these endeavors, spurring, cheering each other on. I want, I want to learn from your example. And I want to be an example for you in reaching people for Jesus. I want us to expect conversions and baptisms. Where on any given Sunday, we might see someone stand up and testify. You know, two years ago, I didn't know Jesus, but through the people of this church, now I do. I want us to be active and engaged and bring a culture like, like that to our church. And I want this because I want, I want to share in, with you. I want to share with you in what God is doing in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in neighborhoods and communities around the world. I'm not trying to change the world or implement some new creative strategy. I just want us to be more obedient, more outward and proactive in our gospel going. And I'm not talking about big things necessarily, but even in seemingly small things like caring for people and loving our neighbor and making a positive contribution to our community. Things like our singing out ministry at Pine Creek Care Center where, where a small team of our people serve each month by singing songs and hymns uh, with elderly folks who can't get to church. Things like our mops ministry, where a small team of our women come alongside and serve other women in the community by, by teaching and modeling biblical truths on womanhood and being a, a wife and being a mother. Things like our annual missions weekend. You know, we see these flags 
where, where we have another yet, a yet another small team of people serving by reminding us of what God is doing in our world and by exhorting us to get involved in some way, shape, or form. Just some of the examples of, of outward things that we're currently doing, but the opportunities are endless. How can we serve the firefighters next door? How can we partner with the, the, the local schools right here in our neighborhood, Granite Bay High School and Oak Hills Elementary and Ridgeview Elementary? I mean, how can we serve them on their campus? And how can we make our campus, our property, our facility more available to them if, if the need arises? I don't know. I've thought about... I mean, I'm just thinking out loud. I thought about what about an after-school tutoring program where some of our people come together and we let the schools know that we've got people here who can tutor in certain subjects or life skills. Or what about opening our facility or our building to, uh, on a Friday night, after a Friday night football game, just opening the facility for some, some entertainment or, or, or hanging out with, with local students and their parents? I don't know. How can we serve our community by hosting more community events? You know, I loved the craft fairs, the craft boutique. I'd love to see those return. I know that's a lot of work, and it requires a lot of effort. An opportunity for us to serve our community. How can we participate more in what in neighborhood functions? Listen to me. How can we take an interest in what interests our neighbors? You remember what, what God told the people of Israel while they were in Babylonian exile? He said, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. In other words, God didn't want His people to isolate themselves from their Babylonian neighbors. He didn't want them in a holy huddle. He didn't want them complaining about the Babylonians, but contributing to their well-being. He wanted them to be a positive, godly, going influence in the midst of Babylonian society. And Daniel, of course, uh, one of the exiles during that time, is the perfect example of this. Will you, will you join with me in trying to understand our community? Will you join me in trying to assess and identify some specific needs within our community? Will you join me in being intentional to help meet them? If we believe, if we believe that God has placed us here, that God gave us this property, if we believe that God has placed us here in this location as opposed to anywhere else, uh, should we also not believe or shouldn't we also believe that there are people here whom God would have us reach? 
Bottom line, participating in the gospel inherently means concerning ourselves with others and helping to meet their needs even above our own. I mean, isn't that the example Jesus set? Though he was in, though he was God, though he was in the form of God, though he was God, he emptied himself and became a servant. But here's where it gets really exciting, I think. And the impact is just really incomprehensible. What if the ministry of the church, our church, isn't a church ministry at all? What if it's the people of the church being more outward wherever God places us in everyday life? What if it's like Bob Ross and Debbie Hudson serving at Folsom Prison? What if it's like Sean and Sarah Kinney serving incoming refugees through world relief? Picking them up from the airport and helping them transition to a new living situation. What if it's like Caroline Gladstone jogging through her neighborhood with the intent, with the purpose, prayerfully asking God to lead her to someone in need? That's where the church, the impact of the church is just exponential. We need to dispel this notion that missions work is just for some people in some faraway place so that missions itself is just another church ministry. We need to see ourselves as missionaries sent out by God into our world every day. So, so what would it look like? Amen. So what would it look like? Think about this. So what would it look like for you, for you, to be the one to initiate contact with a neighbor or work associate or a classmate? What would it be like for you, not to wait for them, what would it be like for you to be the one to initiate contact? What would it be like for you to, to wake up each morning and be on the look for the good works that God has already prepared for you. I mean, literally, what, what, can you just imagine if, if we each woke up every morning and in some way sh or shape or form we said, God, you tell me in your word that you have good works prepared for me. And so I'm anticipating that you have people in my life 
that I am to, to minister to today. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you strike up a conversation and just see where it leads? Uh, why not you? Just extend an invitation to church and see what happens. I think we've got to be... We definitely have to be willing, but I think we also have to be intentional. And so I have a confession to make. I've been thinking through these things for a while, actually. I'm just trying to listen to what God is saying to me. And I just confess that I've not been as outward looking as I could or should be. Uh, you know, I so appreciated what Jeff was praying at, at the conclusion of that song. That's so true. And I've really not cared for people to the extent that I could or should. I've really not concerned myself with my neighbors and how I can serve and help meet their needs. You know, this is not an excuse. This is not an excuse. I tend to be more introvert than extrovert. It's not an excuse. Actually, what it means is that I have to be even more intentional in reaching out. I believe the Great Commission. I affirm it. But truth be told, I've not obeyed it to the extent that I want to or the extent that God wants me to. In fact, being completely honest, I think that when I assess, now, God knows, but when I assess my life, being completely honest, I think, I think the Great Commission probably looks more like the Great Omission. And then I just want to say, I, I think maybe the same could be said for the church, for our church. Historically, we've not been a going type church. We haven't done much in the way of reaching out to our community. We haven't really tried to understand the specific needs of our specific neighborhood. It, it, it seems instead that we've kind of adopted a a, a, an intentional, unintentional approach to outreach, kind of a wait-and-see approach, kind of a sit-back-and-let's-see-what-God-does approach, as if somehow that's more faithful or God-honoring. Meanwhile, God-given opportunities have passed us by, or they've been left untended, and... I think relatively speaking, relatively speaking, the Great Commission has been largely ignored. I just think we're more introverted than extroverted as a church. 
And again, that's not an excuse. But what it does mean is that as a church, we have to be even all the more intentional, not less. But I want you to hear this. This isn't just my thing. It's not just up to me or the elders or the ministry staff. This affects all of us. I think being outward requires church-wide participation. We all have a vital participatory role in the ministry of the gospel. We all have a vital participatory role in the ministry of the gospel. Listen, if I can just say something as kindly as possible, I don't necessarily need you to, to, to tell me what's on your heart and make it my priority. <laughs> what I need you to do is tell, tell me what God is stirring in your heart and how can I help you to make it a priority? You have a vital participatory role in what God is doing and intends to do through our church. And so let me ask you, are we ready to be an outward-looking, gospel-going, disciple-making, great commission-obeying church? (laughs) No, you're not. Are we ready to give this command, to give this command more attention? Are are you, are you ready to participate in what God is doing in our neighborhoods, in our world and around the world? Are you ready? Why are we so hesitant? Why are we so hesitant? Why do we hold back? I think I know why. I think at the root level, it's because we doubt. We doubt. And so I just want you to see, I just love this. I just want you to look with me at verse 17. So I'm back in Matthew 28, verse 17. And when they, the disciples, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. These were people who had seen Jesus do miracles before their own eyes. 
They had lived and walked with Jesus for years. They were handpicked and personally discipled by Jesus. And what's more, think about this. These were people who saw Jesus die, then raise from the dead just as he said he would. The resurrected Jesus was alive and standing before them. Yet some doubted. Doubt is a powerful thing. It's not that some worshipped. I, I really want us to see this. It's not that some worshipped while others doubted. They all loved the Lord. It's that some of those who worshipped doubted. They all worshipped Jesus, but there were lingering doubts that kept some from being all in. And I think it's an honest picture of the church. Generally speaking, all of us in the church, we love the Lord, but some of us wrestle with, with lingering doubt. And then some of us, that some of us, may change from week to week. And so on one day, you may be wrestling with doubt while someone over here isn't. But on the very next day, someone here is wrestling with doubt and you aren't anymore. It's an honest picture, I think, of how the church responds to the Great Commission. Uh, we love, we worship Jesus, but we're hesitant to be all in because of the lingering doubts within our own hearts. Jesus, I'm not qualified to be commissioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter and James and John, yes, let's commission them, not me. Oh, oh, the missionary in Taiwan, yes, let's commission them, not me. I'm just not qualified. Jesus, I'm afraid of rejection. On one hand, on one hand, I, I, I'm afraid of an apathetic response. What if they just don't care? What if I pour my heart out in talking with someone and they just don't care? Or, I'm afraid of rejection or uh, persecution. I mean, that's the other end of the, of the spectrum. What if they care too much and get angry? Jesus, I'm not confident or, or competent or comfortable in reaching out. I'm not sure what to do with these feelings of inadequacy. I, I, Jesus, I'm, I'm pretty busy. I'm not sure I have the time or energy for this. I'm really not sure how this fits into my, my plans or what it means for my schedule. Jesus, I'm not sure how to measure success. I'm not ready to deal with failure. I'm not sure how to deal with unmet expectations. I mean, what if, what if my efforts, what if our efforts as a church, what if they just fall flat? 
You see, doubt, doubts like these and, and many, many others, doubt manifests itself in many ways. It's always working to distract and defeat us, always warring against our faith. Doubt is never far away. And even some of these disciples who gathered with the resurrected Christ were wrestling with doubt. And so what does Jesus do? Well, He assures them of His divine authority and His continual presence. I love this. Verse 18, and Jesus, so verse 17, right? Some were, or, or they come and they worship Jesus, but some doubted. So verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples. The therefore in verse 19 is, is huge. It's significant. Jesus sends them forth by reminding them of His supreme authority. His sending and their going each fall under the scope of His rule, His reign over the heavens and the earth. Not some authority, notice, but all authority. Jesus uh, has authority over all things. Uh, we're told in Colossians, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all, author uh, all things hold together. His authority extends over all. It's not a matter of, of our competence or qualifications. It's not about our fears or feelings of inadequacy. It's not about our expectations or failures or measures of success. It's about going forth, people. It's about going forth uh, in the authority of the one who has all authority. Satan cannot stop him. Death could not defeat him. The grave couldn't hold him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. What do we have to doubt? You see, doubts dissipate in the presence of King Jesus. How reassuring is the presence of Christ? And so he says, he talks about his authority in verse 19, and then he says in verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Behold, it says. Jesus is saying, look, check this out. Pay close attention. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Are you ready? I am with you always. When you're at school, I'm with you. When you're at home or work, I'm with you. When you're in Granite Bay or, or Roseville or Rockland, I'm with you. In Loomis or Lincoln, I'm with you. 
in Folsom or El Dorado Hills, I'm with you. In Orangevale or Citrus Heights or Fair Oaks, I'm with you. In Carmichael or Sacramento, I'm with you. When you're serving your neighbor, I'm with you. When you're supporting the gospel, I'm with you. When you're nervous about speaking the gospel, I'm with you. When your faith is strong, I'm with you. But listen, when it's not, I'm with you. I'm with you. Whenever and wherever you are and in whatever you do, I am with you. And the world has never been the same. Just an interesting observation. You know, when Jesus was born, first came to earth, we're told in Matthew chapter 1, that he, he was called Emmanuel which means God with us. That's Matthew chapter 1. And so here we are in the very last chapter of Matthew and in the very last verse of Matthew, and we're assured again by Jesus himself that he is indeed with us. Always. Always. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ and, and that He goes with us. You know, ambassadors, they have the backing of the country they represent. So wherever they go, uh, their country, in a sense, goes with them. Meaning that all the might and means of, of their country is behind them in support. And in the same way, as ambassadors for Christ, we have His backing. Or, or I could put it this way. Jesus has our backs. Wherever we go, He goes with us. All the might, think about this, all the might and means of the kingdom of heaven is behind our effort. So Jesus not only sends us, but He strengthens and supports us. The great seal of the Great Commission is the preeminence and continual presence of Christ Himself with those who go as He instructs them to. And so hear this, you defeat doubt, we defeat doubt by remembering Christ's authority and by resting and relying in His presence. Our experience with Jesus is meant to be shared. Our experience of Jesus, with Jesus is meant to be shared, and faith in Christ is furthered as we go in the Great Commission 
and make disciples. We'll talk more about that next week. Amen. Father, we thank you for your time and your word. And even as I close, I'm just reminded of uh, those words in 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that we are a chosen race, we are a, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for your own possession. Why? So that we might proclaim your excellencies, the excellencies of the one who has called us out from darkness into your marvelous light. You tell us there in that passage that once we were not a people, but now we are your people. You say once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so, Lord, when in this reality, would you make us ministers of mercy? in the highways and byways of life. Whether it's through the ministries of our church or more likely and better yet, whether it's through the the individual ministries of the people of the church as you send us out, would you dispel our doubts Would you remind us always of the authority of King Jesus and of the assurance of His presence? Help me. Lord, help me. And help us all. For your name's sake, amen.